learned something watching that just now. I learned something. When I was watching that, I, I had no idea that the pilgrims came to America without knowing how to shop. Did you know that? Lucky for them, the Native Americans were there to keep them on the right track. Hey, good morning. My name's Andy. It's, uh, it's going to be a good day, as Dave already said. You know, one of the things is as we're preparing for Thanksgiving and as we're leading up to this amazing gathering with whoever you get to gather with this year, one of the things that I realized this year that I think I've known, but I never really, it never really clicked with me like it did this year when I was preparing for this message, is that do you realize that the original Thanksgiving with the pilgrims and the Native Americans, it was not a celebration of a perfect flawless year that had had no struggle, no strife, and so they had so much to be thankful for because it had been so easy. That's not what they were celebrating. The, the, the original celebration wasn't about celebrating an easy, struggle-free year. It was about celebrating in spite of the struggles that they had all faced during the previous year. As you saw there, there was a lot of hardship, a lot of life loss, a lot of uh, you know, just difficulty adjusting to their new home and their new climate. And, and for some reason, and I just love this about these people that celebrated in this way, they were able to find God's provision and God's protection and God's deliverance even in the middle of a very difficult year. And you know, Thanksgiving as a, as a holiday didn't become a thing for about 242 years after that original Thanksgiving. Did you know that? Abraham Lincoln, uh, in, the, in his second year of his presidency, in the middle of the Civil War, at the height of all the loss, at, uh, at the middle of all the struggle that the American people were facing as a nation, he realized that their spirits were plummeting into hopelessness and despair. And he called on the nation in the middle of this, this struggle to, to set aside a day for celebration, a day for prayer, a day for giving thanks, a day to remember what God had done and how his goodness had still been there for them in the middle of a very dark and difficult year. Now, does that sound familiar to any of you? Does that sound relevant to the season we're in, maybe? I know that for, for many of us, 2020 hasn't been what we thought it might be. I know that there are people in this room who have experienced loss of various kinds. Loss of work, loss of income, loss of loved ones, I know that there are people who have struggled with their emotional health and their well-being over this past year. And, 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 and in the middle of that, I just think it's so important that we are able to find a way to celebrate what God has done to get us through to the point where he has. In the middle of a difficult year, you and I have things that we can still be thankful for. We can still celebrate God's provision, his protection. And so I want to challenge you over these next few days, as you gather this week with family and friends, whoever you're able to gather with, I want you to think of that and find reasons to celebrate God's goodness, even in the midst of a difficult year. So today I want to talk to you about this really, this age, this, this, this concept that wasn't original to the pilgrims. It wasn't original to Abraham Lincoln. It's not original to us, obviously. It was, it's been going on for generations and generations and generations. This idea of remembering and celebrating what God has done. 
This idea that God has uh, brought us from one place to another place, and God has provided for us along the way, and God has met our needs, and God has protected us, and there's been deliverance, and there's been healing, and there's been all kinds of good things in the middle of a, 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 a struggle, maybe. And today I want to talk to you about one of those instances that comes to us in the Bible. And it comes to us uh, at, the, at the beginning of the nation of Israel. Now I know that we have people in this room and people watching online who are at different points in their understanding of the Bible and the journey of the Israelites and all of this. I know that some of you, this is like old hat. This is something you've known for a long time. And others of you, this may be brand new. And so I want to just take a couple moments and catch you up on the progression of their journey as we get to the point where we're going to focus on today. So the nation of Israel was started when God pulled a man named Abram out of his homeland. And he said, Abram, I want to start something new in you. I want to start a new nation that is going to be one that is built on my goodness and, and, and a relationship with me. And so Abram follows God out of this way, of his old way of living. And God ends up changing his name to Abraham. And he gives him a child. And, and, and God says to him, he says, I'm going to bless you so that through you, the entire world will be blessed. And he says to him, uh, you are going to be a blessing in this world. And through your generation or through generations after you, through your seed, you are going to see the world receive salvation. And so Abraham becomes the father of a brand new nation. But the first few generations, this is a very small nation, just a few families, just two or three families, and then it grows, and then it grows, and it grows. And over time, they get to a point where God takes them from the land where they have been settling, and he leads them out from that land into the land of Egypt. Now, Egypt was a very powerful and very uh, prosperous nation at this time. And Egypt, when everyone else in the world was struggling with famine and hardship, Egypt was a place where there was plenty. And so God led them out of the hardship into the place of plenty, and they, they made their home within Egypt as immigrants for many generations. And during this time, they grew and grew and grew and became so powerful and so numerous that the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, became very threatened by their strength. And in order to subdue them and push them down and make sure that they knew who was boss, he makes them slaves. And so they go on, and for generations from there, they are slaves to the Egyptians. Now, this starts out badly, and it continues to progress and get worse and worse and worse for them. And over time, they get so burned out and so tired of being slaves that they call out to God and they say, God, deliver us. Send us help. Send us a, a, a deliverer. And God sends them a, a man named Moses. And Moses, as you may know the story, he becomes the deliverer. He leads them out from the land where they have been struggling, from the land where they have been slaves. And he leads them through a series of miraculous circumstances out of Egypt into a journey that takes them to their homeland. And so today what I want to do is I wanted to focus on the part of the journey. We're going to talk a little bit about the, this, this journey through the, once they leave Egypt, but I really want to focus our time on their journey into their new homeland. And so today we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at, from the perspective of the Israelites, we're going to look at where they've been, we're going to look at where they are going, and thirdly, we're going to look at what stood in the way, all right? So where they've been, where they're going, and what stood in the way. 
So let's focus, first of all, on where they've been. So once they leave Egypt, the people of Israel are led out into this wilderness, this this desert land just uh, east of Egypt. And this is a, a period in their lives that lasts for, get this, 40 years, all right? For 40 years, these people are wandering in the wilderness. And this is a difficult, difficult point in their journey. Now, I want you to hear this. For 40 years, their entire existence is marked by struggle. It's marked by hardship. It's marked by doubt. And one of the things that is most identifying, most uh, you know, just real about their, their time in this season of, is that they were wandering aimlessly throughout the wilderness. We have this graphic on the screen behind me that shows, based on the biblical narrative, the the directions that they would have gone and the places where they would have camped. And so what you see in this, this image is that a journey that should have taken 11 days to get from point A to point B took 40 years. I did the math. That's approximately 14,599 days longer than it should have. That is a long, long time. Now, I'm one of these people where I love efficiency. I'm all about, you know, give me the most direct route, give me the, the cheapest route, whatever it is. You know, I want to get there on, in good time. And this would have driven me bonkers, you know, going 40, you know, 14,000 days longer than it should have. But the people of Israel are led down. You can see they, they go all the way down this peninsula, and then they go back up, and then they do a loop-de-loop, and then they do another kind of bypass around something, and they finally end up on the border of where they're trying to get. But here they are being led by God. Now, I want you to understand this. This was not a case of Moses, their leader, being a, uh, uh, just not knowing where he was going. You know, he's not like one of those guys who's just bad with directions. He's got the map upside down or whatever. And he's like, oh, I thought it was over here. And we're actually 3,000 miles away. It wasn't that because Moses wasn't actually leading them. God was the one who was leading them. The Bible tells us that the people of Israel were led by a pillar of cloud in the sky during the daytime and a pillar of fire in the sky at nighttime. And so what this tells us is that God was supernaturally leading them through this portion of their journey. But that raises the question, why did God lead them 40 years through the wilderness when it could have taken 11 days to get into their homeland? And as I was thinking about this and praying about this this week, I think there is really one really good answer for why this 40-year journey was necessary. It's because God had to take this time to change their mindset. See, what you need to understand about the Israelites at this point in history is that they were, they thought like slaves, They had spent their entire lives as slaves. Everything that they did was given to them. They were were led by the Egyptians. Their provision came from the Egyptians. There were times in the wilderness where they got hungry, and they said, said, oh man, we're so hungry. Where's our food going to come from? And and, um, And then they would say something like this, at least when we were slaves in Egypt, at least there we knew we would have food. And then their protection came from the Egyptians while they were in their season of slavery. And so God, over the 40 years leading them through the wilderness, had to get this Egyptian mindset out of them, this slave mindset out of them, because they had not known their God. And this is a season where God is introducing himself to them and showing them who he is. And so 
you know, it, the reason this was necessary is because this was a season where God was introducing himself to his people and showing them who he was. So where they've been is in the wilderness, marked by struggle, strife, wandering, you know, just bad stuff. But where are they going? Let's look at that now. Where they're going is into the promised land. Essentially, this is their home. This is the home that was promised to them. This is why it's called the promised land, because God had promised it to their ancestor, Abram, whose name was changed to Abraham, many generations before. Let me just read that to you in Genesis chapter 15. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day, and he said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. And then he says, these people are currently living there, but this is the land that I have given to you for your descendants. And so this is a land that was promised to them. And In Exodus chapter 3 is the first time we see it referenced in this way. God is talking to Moses, and he says to Moses, he says, I am going to use you to lead the people into the promised land, but he calls it this. He calls it a land flowing with, get this, milk and honey. And this is one of, I think it was 40 times that this reference is used in the Old Testament. The the promised land would be a land that flows with milk and honey. Now, what is that all about? It's it's a a symbol of of prosperity. It's a symbol of of their provisions being met. It's a symbol of God nurturing them. It's a symbol, basically what the promised land was, was it was a place where they would be able to find rest from their wandering and a home where they wouldn't be, you know, they would still be surrounded by enemies and stuff, but where they could be at peace. Now, let me just clarify something for you before you make a mental uh, leap here that I don't think God was necessarily telling them. Getting into the promised land did not mean that their struggles would be over. Getting into the promised land did not mean that they would no longer have to have seasons where things wouldn't go the way they planned, where, where, you know, viruses like COVID would come in and, and test their faith. It didn't mean that they wouldn't have trials or issues, but the land that God had promised them was a land where God would meet their needs no matter what they were. And so it, it wouldn't be struggle-free, but if they could learn how to trust God in the midst of the struggle, he would get them through it and they would be better and stronger for it. So they've been in the wilderness. They're going to this land that has been promised to them where their needs will be met, where they will find rest. But there is a boundary that is blocking them, that is keeping them out. And this is what we look at next. It's the Jordan River. This is what stands in the way, the Jordan River. This is a literal, physical boundary between the two sides. So, so their journey has led them up to the edge of their, they can see the land that God has promised them across this river. Now, I've never been to Israel. My parents have been there a few times, and I've talked to people who have, and I've learned that the Jordan River in general is not a huge, you know, overwhelming river. It's not like the Mississippi. It's not like the Nile. It's not like something like that, the Amazon. It's not a massive river. It's a meandering, fairly narrow river that just meanders through that way and dumps out in the Dead Sea. But the, uh, 
the Jordan River, as we see from Joshua chapter 3, verse 15, Joshua tells us that during this time when they get there, it was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. What does that tell us? It tells us that, that you know, have you ever gone across the Illinois River and you see how the water is well beyond its banks and it's flooding the land and you see the trees are coming up out of the water? Okay, this is the time of year when the people were led to that point. They've gotten there and the river is way wider than they anticipated. And the river is probably rushing with more water than they thought, the kind of water that sweeps you away. And so it's a very dangerous proposition. And so they're standing there on the east side of the river, wondering how they're going to get across. And it's at this time that Moses dies. And Moses has been their leader for generations. And so Joshua takes over the leadership of the people of Israel. And God does something to show these people Hey, I've got you. I've got you. Just like I had all of you when, I, when, when Moses was your leader, now I've still got you when Josh, with Joshua as your leader. Joshua chapter 3, verse 14. Let's just read through this. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went on ahead of them. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon, get this, this is so cool, as soon as the feet of the, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which is this box that was where God's presence was manifest in the world. And so miracles happened around this box. As soon as their, their feet, when they were carrying this box, the Ark of the Covenant touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point, so upstream, cut off near a town near, called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed out into the Dead Sea until the riverbed was completely dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood in the middle on dry ground as the, people, as the whole nation of Israel crossed. So the people would pass right beyond them into their promised land while God's presence held the waters back. So this wasn't some random act. You've got to understand, this wasn't like where the people were thinking, oh, did, the, did somebody dam the river upstream and we didn't know it? You know, was it just circumstance? Was it just, we got lucky? You know, this was a clear sign that God had done something to help them get into the land that he had promised them. You got to remember, 40 years earlier, when they were leaving Egypt and there was a big body of water, the Red Sea, keeping them from exiting Egypt, God parted the waters and they went through on dry ground. So their journey begins parting the waters miraculously and getting to safety and their journey into the promised land ends in a very similar fashion. So God did something mighty to take them from where they had been to where he wanted them to be. And so the Israelites crossed the river, and as they did this, they were instructed. There were 12 tribes of Israel, and they had one elder from each tribe whose job it was when he got into the river was to pick up a stone, a, a large stone of some kind, and carry it across to the other side. And so all 12 of these stones were intended to be built up as a memorial. Let's read about that in Joshua 4, verse 6. So we will use these stones to build a memorial, and in the future, your children will ask you, they will say, what do these stones mean, mom? Dad, what do these stones mean? And you can tell them, they remind us how the Jordan River stopped when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. And these stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. You see, this wasn't just about their generation seeing God at work. This was about future generations. 
in the memorial that they built and this, this, this act of remembering what God had done and celebrating it regularly going forward would be a part of their DNA, a part of their culture. So you might be sitting here listening today and you're thinking to yourself, okay, that's great. You've talked to me about the journey of the Israelites and how God led them from where they were to where he wanted them to be and how he was miraculously involved. But what does that have to do with me? Let's talk about that for a moment. I want you to think about your story. I want you to think about your journey from where you were to where you are and where God is taking you. Now, I'm aware that there are people in this room who are at different, and people watching online as well, people who are at different stages in their spiritual journey. Some people in this room, maybe you're here today or watching online because somebody asked you to do it and you don't even know if you would call yourself a follower of Jesus. You wouldn't necessarily call yourself a Christian. But listen, I believe with all my heart that God has a promised land for you as well. I believe that God has good things in store for you that you haven't even considered yet. I believe that just like many people in this room who have made a decision to put their faith in Jesus, God has better for you tomorrow than what you've seen in your life today. And I'm telling you that today can be your day that you cross the Jordan, where you cross from the desert of wandering and struggle and strife, marked by sin, marked by doubt, marked by all this depression and this, this stuff, and, and let God's miraculous work lead you into the land that he has promised to give you, a land where your needs are met, where you are healthy, where you are whole, where you are uh, provided for, and where God is your source. And if you're here today and you do call yourself a Christian, I just want you to think about the journey that you've been on. For the past several years, you've, been, you've transitioned from uh, who you were to who you are today. And just like the Israelites, it doesn't mean that once you get into the promised land, your journey is over and you are struggle-free, but it does mean that when you were there, God has promised to get you through. God has promised to meet your needs. And if you will trust him to lead you through whatever circumstances you come up against, he will get you through and you will be better and stronger for it. Over the past 10 weeks, we've had a group of individuals uh, going through a class called Rooted. We meet here, right here in this room on Wednesday nights, and it's a class that is all about spiritual formation, and we're developing uh, these, these rhythms of, of, of a Christian life in this class. And we had 18 people do the class with us, and uh, today we are going to celebrate the journey that they've been on. One of the things we've done is we've seen people come from where they were, where life was marked by this stuff that's not good and then God did something in their lives and here they are today and they're not a finished complete you know completed project but they're still a work in process and they have hope for the future so the band is going to lead us in a song and here in a moment I want to encourage you to just join us in celebrating the journey that several of these people who have gone through Rooted have been a part of these past 10 weeks would you stand with us and sing this song together
See 
lead you into the promises that he has for you. Hey, today, the challenge for all of us is that God wants you to remember that and not live in the guilt of it, not live in condemnation from what your past said, but to understand that God has saved you from that and he has brought life where there was death. He has brought hope where there was hopelessness. And to remember that and to celebrate it regularly. I want to encourage you today to be a people of thanksgiving who remember what God has done. Hey, and if you want to consider being a part of what this, the journey that they've been on for these past few weeks, we're going to do another Rooted group coming up in January, starting on the 13th. We'll do an online and an in-person, depending on how things are. But you can find out more information about that on the Connect Church website. Let me pray for you here this morning. Father, thank you so much for everyone watching online, for everyone in the room today, God. There is something special that you have done in our lives, and it is our privilege to be able to celebrate what you have done, to lead us from where we were to where we are. And Lord, none of us are a finished project. None of us are complete in the sense that we will never have doubts and struggles again. But Lord, at the same time, Lord, we are complete in you, which means that there, the work that you've done in us is final. It's, it's perfect, but it's just a process of our mind and our understanding catching up with that so that we can live it out. So Lord, each and every one of us, today we remember what you've done to lead us from where we were, and thank you for taking us to where we are today. We love you, Jesus. We celebrate you today. Amen.